Welcome to Supply Chain Innovation. I'm your host, William Crane. Launching a new product is both an exciting and stressful time. In this podcast, we'll share tips, tools, and resources to inform you of the latest trends in launching new hardware products from idea to delivery. Each episode, I'll bring you the top industry change makers that are shaping the way we bring future technologies to market. I've designed this show to provide you with condensed, actionable insights you can quickly implement to drive business value. So let's dive in and explore how we can outlaunch the competition. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello, FCI listeners. William Crane here, your host. Excited to be joined by my good friend and partner, Will Nibble, Principal of Advisory Services at Crow. We've got an exciting topic teed up today, procurement metrics that matter. I'm just recording offsite from one of our other partners, Global Logistics, and one of the games that I like to play is where in the world as well. Will, welcome to the show, and where are you today? I'm actually working from the home office. Uh, the joke is because I travel like 150, 200 days a year, depending, and typically in two or three cities a week. So I happen to actually be in the Crow Ferrisburg offices in Michigan today. Yeah. Showing of one. You have a, a hefty travel schedule for sure. Um, anytime that I think I'm on the road a lot, I always uh, think of you. <laughs> so um, I feel like all of our conversations are, are literally, uh, where are you today? Um, but you sat me in Silk Crud, so many different global clients, uh, clients throughout the U.S. that, that keep you uh, busy supporting them. One of the things that I want to touch on a little bit is um, how did you get your start in consulting? Um, and, and just to hear a little bit of your background to key things off. Yeah, so um, I'd like to tell you it was some really intentional story, but it was really luck and timing. Uh, before you know this career, I worked in industry. So I worked for Ford Motor for a number of years in parts supply and logistics, and then I worked for a Dover company in northern Michigan. Uh, you know, working with another team of people running a machine shop uh, that made automation tooling for the automotive industry, and we were on our uh, third round of working through upgrades to our Oracle system. And I happened to reach out to Crow. And ironically, uh, the thing that I was working on was getting our PFEP embedded into our Oracle system. And I know Crow had some uh, game in helping people on system integration and work. So I got connected with the firm and one conversation led to another. And they said, well, hey, we're really thinking about uh, spinning up a, 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 a performance improvement practice that does three things for our manufacturing and distribution clients. So performance improvement, strategic sourcing, and then post-deal integration work. And so I was invited to the firm, given the opportunity to establish the sourcing practice. And that was 11 years ago. I appreciate that background. Um, one of the things that I uh, spent a little time in, in consulting myself and, and you know, getting, you, getting to know you over the years, it, a lot of people think about this and I think about advisory services firms, but frankly, I think a lot of companies for that matter, all companies have core competencies, right? And so we like to put these nice fences around services firms. Um, and it kind of makes intuitive sense, you know, hindsight reflecting a little bit. How would you categorize uh, services firms, specifically Crow, and then how do you differentiate yourself from maybe other advisory services firms? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing you do is you got to almost have to orient Crow because we're a bit of a confusing animal. So we got 44 offices in the domestic U.S., 4,000 employees, you know, uh, but we lead with audit and tax almost on a regional or industry basis. And so 
you know, for the first 70, you know, for the first 40 years of our 75 year history, we really led with those services and a set of pretty targeted industries. And, you know, we know your board, we know your CFO, we know your leadership, we know your competitors, and uh, we understand your business. And, and so from there, you know, we got invited to support other opportunities. Really, the first uh, shade of gray that it took was risk, you know, new regulations, uh, uh, new issues, new concerns business leaders would have. And they look to, you know, a CFO will look to their auditor or their tax guy for that support or that help. And then from there, it became more about, hey, here's some things that we want to do on a performance basis in our business, things that we want to do to grow and expand and uh, become more competitive as a business. And those two things really are what uh, were the genesis for building out our consulting services, which focuses on you know risk and compliance and system-based issues. So the things that you, you kind of have to do. And then from the questions regarding performance grew our advisory services, which at times looks like a bit of an island of misfit toys. We do several things, uh, but they're all under the umbrella of helping to improve business performance. So we got transaction services, valuation, IT advisory that my mother would understand, operations due diligence, hey, what could we do with this thing and what would it be worth? And then I sit in performance improvement. So performance improvement, we do three simple things. One is shop floor operational within your four walls improvement. So whether it's cost of poor quality or improve how we operate on the plant floor, or even looking at our processes in SG&A and improving those workflows. We do strategic sourcing, which is a service line that I lead, and logistics optimization. So, and there's so many levers in logistics that you can pull to save money or improve operations. We do that work as well. So we differentiate. Uh, we're in, in a way at Pro at large because we're a little bit like a uh, a Swiss Army knife for mid-sized companies. We if you have a relationship with us, we typically have an answer for that, and we're typically very good at it, and we can help you move forward. Really appreciate your articulating that too, because there's you touched on, on kind of two, at least I took away two major themes there: large multinational services firms, of which there's a small number of Pro being one of those, right? That mm-hmm. truly have a global presence that has a I like the Swiss Army knife example, a wide portfolio of best-in-class services or tax audit advisory, right? Um, at the same time, it, it's unpacking the specific, we'll call it service lines or microservices, right, that a crow or others provide is really what you want to look for when you're, when you're looking to make um, those performance improvements, right? So you mentioned like strategic sourcing, right? Like not every other advisory services firm might be best of breed for that. They might say, oh, well, we do supply chain, we do procurement work, et cetera. You know, in those areas is, is what you guys are, right? And, and, and kind of knowing those differences, not the one size fits all, at least from my yeah. experience, can be a big, um, uh, a big accelerator for results, I would say. Yeah, the the key differentiator to the to your question was, you know, how how are we different from other firms? If if you're looking for the strategy, uh, or if you're looking for you know kind of those aspects of it, we we can help you with that. Uh, and a lot of firms do that. But where we differentiate is doing the work with our client. Uh, we go deep. We work in a very focused way with you. It's not about you know the PowerPoint deck. It's very much about working in an intimated way with our clients to achieve 
to achieve a result. So in that way, uh, that's really how we differentiate in the marketplace. You get, I mean, a long uh, career now at, at Pro, right? You had a, a, you know, as all of us have a, a number of careers and, and probably future ones as well, right? Another uh, set of crystal ball is, uh, what does the last 11 years look like at Pro? How have you seen the firm uh, grow, right? I mean, you were on the ground floor, literally, of creating, helping, you know, co-creators, advisory services, offering in a number of services lines. How is the, how is the firm different today than maybe five years ago or, or 11 years ago? Yeah, so, so you know, our profile uh, growth, basically, and trying to keep up with growth. Uh, so our strategy on an audit and tax and industry side, we, we grow both organically and through acquisition. So, you know, we have a strategy of entering different strategic markets through acquisition. And, you know, as I said before, we, we kind of use audit and tax as our, as our spear uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but really, our consulting services and our advisory services have grown you know, uh, to be more and more significant year over year from when I began at the firm. And so uh, that's been very, very exciting. And so the, the, the source of that growth uh, has really just been on the back of doing good work and building a reputation for it. So, you know, we're not a marketing engine. I mean, we're not out there. I mean, uh, you can't even find our name on a golfer's hat, which, you know, is a debate that happens from time to time. So I oftentimes find myself explaining and orienting people to who pro is. Uh, but nonetheless, really, most of our work comes through, hey, I worked with this team, they did great work for me, and they probably could do something for you. So it's just become exponential as those experiences have have occurred. Well said. Certainly growing anything, whether it's software, services, other products, doing great work is, is the best way to, to retain and, and grow business, right? I mean, it's, it's literally that simple in a lot of cases. Agreed. So one of the things I want to unpack with you a little bit is specifically diving deep into the strategic sourcing side of things, right? So you and your team spent a lot of time supporting clients on this transition from, we'll say, maybe we'll oversimplify, but I love your thoughts on this, more tactical procurement approaches to more strategic, maybe more integrated approaches, right? And Based on some of our past discussions, super excited to get your perspective on this. What do you think, I guess, what's your philosophy on procurement's role within the organization? Yeah. So, so table stakes are like, what is procurement? So uh, what happens a lot of times is people confuse procurement and strategic sourcing. They're, they're two different things. So sourcing, strategic sourcing is about the process by which you select your partners, your supply partners, your vendors, and how you work with them. This is about the process you go through for selection uh, and you know, a really good litmus test for do I have a strong sourcing organization is, can you look at your top uh, you know, 20 vendors that are driving 80% of your spend and say, they were selected through a rigorous objective process that is of intelligent design. It's like the search for aliens, the search for intelligence. Did I choose this person intentionally and objectively, or is it, you know, someone from my golf club, which may be a good reason, but nonetheless, that is sourcing. Separately is procurement. Procurement is uh, a tactical day-to-day -day activity that is needed to supply uh, the services and facilities in a way that uh, is efficient and effective. So I, I bucketize those two things as table stakes for any discussion on procurement. And by separating those things, first and foremost, 
that kind of sets the stage for, you know, really how we think about it. So then from there, you know, you can kind of pause and reflect and go in, in the midsize space, call it, you know, companies, you know, under $5 billion, the advent of strategic sourcing is occurring right now. It, it tends to have been done as a tactical procurement thing. And now we're starting to leverage sourcing in a more strategic manner. So then from there, it's okay. What does that look like? Well, it, whatever you do in sourcing and whatever you need to do in procurement needs to align with your industry and your strategy. So, I mean, make it up your SpaceX, right? Your sourcing strategy is not just about material. It's certainly not about, you know, the cheapest cost. It's about innovation, the best partners, uh, risk mitigation. It's about these things. If you are running a sourcing organization and a procurement organization in a, uh, you know, a tier three machine shop servicing the automotive industry or oil and gas, it's very much about cost effectiveness uh, and, and remaining competitive within your industry versus insurance versus healthcare versus tech. So, you know, our perspective is first and foremost, these two things are different. And then make sure whatever it is you do with them aligns with the overall organizational strategy. And that those things, if you had to explain them to someone, would have some type of a logical flow and connection. That's so spot on. I appreciate that. I mean, just distilling that down and just a very, I mean, pithy example uh, and definition even ahead of that. You spread a couple ideas. I mean, one of the things that, that you just, and I see this too, right, from a different angle, more from like the software side of things, but when I mean, you're out there, you know, co-creating these future strategies, where are we at current state, how do we, what is the, path we want to get to to get to this hopefully better way to live in this future state um and, and what you talked about there was was really the alignment and i think a lot of times we, we oversimplify where the basic definition of sourcing and procurement to be interchange those things right um but the context matters right and, and you outline about four different variables the company the industry where you want to go where you're currently at um and then some of the, the macro trends within that and also where you want to position your brand or your company along that line? Do you want to be a low cost provider? Do you want to be a, you know, a high end, um, you know, more bespoke offering? Um, you got to have all those things, right? Because if you don't, it's kind of a fool's errand and you're just guessing, right? I mean, is that, is that your takeaway from a lot of the, the C-suite discussions you're having? Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, kind of expanding on that. It's really about because kind of the, the concept of sourcing and procurement as a source of strategic value and differentiation tends to be kind of an emerging thought uh, in, in with the clients that we're working with, um, there's a lot of cultural and change management aspects that have to occur. In 99% of the time, I don't get a phone call unless there's an event, right? This isn't something that someone's sitting around one day and they're like, ah, you know what? I'm going to start to take procurement seriously because I'm an enlightened individual. That doesn't occur. It is, uh, there's a new leader that's come in and seen it done well. Uh, we're just having systemic supply issues and they're not getting corrected. Uh, we thought we bought really well in this area, but we just did an acquisition and this guy did a lot better than we did. And so now I'm questioning you know, how well we do this stuff. Uh, it, it's these types of things that cause uh, companies to go, oh, okay, well, geez, I need to take this a bit more seriously. I mean, it wasn't until you know, within the last 10 years that supply chain became a term that everyone kind of knew and fluidly threw around. So there's a little there. There's some things I want to dive in a little bit further on. Is 
So in your, in your point of view, right, if you're looking at, at the end of the day, how your, time, how your clients are spending their time, right? Um, yep. To some extent, it seems like we're all a product of our environments, right? And if we're looking at middle market specifically, right, um, I'm sure there's a number of folks that maybe have had exposure to strategic sourcing maybe in past lives, right? There's that change event or maybe some bad habits as well, right? Like, how do you go about um, helping folks along that journey from, um, not necessarily that enlightened moment, but like that change, right? Because even if there's that event, right? There's that supply disruption event, the horrible thing that shuts down the manufacturing plant, everyone's on board, et cetera. Once things are stabilized, do we go back into those bad habits? Like, how do you consistently partner with folks to help with that change, right? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that happen. One is uh, at, at the executive level, I'm typically sitting there because there was an event. So, so the, why, the, the why we need to do this is now gone past us. Now we're at, we need to do something. So then you're in, you know, at, at the management level and at the, at the, at the deeper in the business. So the first thing you got to do is you got to begin with why. And what typically happens in the maturity curve of a company is people know the opportunity is there. People want the opportunity. People talk about the opportunity. We should do this. They don't do this. You know, they, they is always the, the jerk within every business. I'd love to meet they someday and pop his tires. He sounds like a horrible person. Uh, you know, they and them. Don't, don't do this. It's always they and them. And then what people realize is, oh, it's actually us. And so well, the net of it is, is a lot of times there just isn't a organizational leader or a name or a face or it's not defined within the business. So one is we kind of begin with why. Then we help the company kind of shape what it could look like. And we show them that through examples. We introduce them to other clients. Uh, it's really how we engage with them. When we engage with a client, we commit our resource. And so we're with them every day. And I mean, in the simplest uh, way of saying it is people work with folks that they like and trust. And so when you sit down with them and you take an inventory of their ideas and you help them understand that they're not crazy, then you help them to understand what it takes to achieve that you know, kind of potential future state, it, it's pretty easy to get people on board. And, and at that point in time, you know, kind of crudely said, the goal is going to be the goal. And, and most people are going to get on the bus and start rolling in that direction. And some, sometimes people don't, but we actually just wrapped up an engagement with a client. And, and this was kind of the key of it. During the assessment phase, I would say it was 80% about alignment, maybe 20% about assessment, because you wouldn't have hired me if you didn't think you had an opportunity. So now it's kind of like, what is that worth and how do we get there? And 80% of it was really just spending time with the managers, uh, getting their thoughts, getting the strategy down, laying it, laying it out by work stream, solving for the anxieties of who's going to do this and how does this compete with other priorities and what does this mean for me? And then getting a plan set so that we could move to implementation. I mean, from my experience too, I mean, I've been, you know, fortunate like yourself, you've had a number of different um, experiences in industry where, you know, it could have been, you know, the company uh, was having some challenges all on that life cycle, right? From, from growth to, to challenges to, to you know, reinvention and all, all those things, right? And, and what you just outlined there is sometimes it is extremely difficult, and I'll put myself out there too, like even from a personal experience of, seeing what's right in front of you, even if you know the opportunity is there. And it's even more difficult when there's 
other stakeholders, right? Yeah. Um, other functions, finance, accounting, et cetera. And so even though you have extremely smart people that know the opportunities there, getting everyone aligned to put out, like you said, their anxieties, um, that in itself, and I'm glad you quantified it, that 80%, that 80% is, is an extremely important part to do up front. Sometimes you need an outside resource to kickstart that, facilitate that, yeah. um, because having that happen organically in a lot of times, if there's that event, is, is a bit of a fool's errand, right? You're, you're going to align eight different cross-functional team members magically in a short period of time. That, that's that's tough, right? So I think to me that that's part of the value add of of not just your offering, but I, I think advisory services period for those, those yeah. needed change. It's the lab coat effect. It's like, uh, uh, you know, my wife always gives me a hard time because she'll tell me something and then someone will walk by with a tie on and they'll say the exact same words. And I'm like, oh, have you heard that before? He's like, I told you that like seven times. Well, he was wearing a tie and he wasn't you. So now I believe him, you know, it's that type of thing. So when clients hire us, it's, it's funny. It's really for only three reasons. Uh, you know, the first reason is there's some knowledge there. So I, we've consulted with more than 100 companies on procurement and sourcing. So we have a pretty good beat on what good looks like and what strategies work and what to watch out for. So they, they pay for that, that knowledge and that helps them accelerate. I mean, the second thing is we're temps. Who's got people just sitting around waiting to do work? I mean, give me, give me a break, right? And we're all very busy and we run lean. And so in a lot of ways, you just need some resources that can focus on these things to help you move forward with any level of speed. And then the last is what you and I are talking about, which is consensus. I mean, you got many different views and opinions and priorities in the business, and you got to have a way to organize that and get some alignment. So it's really those three things tend to be at the core of, of, of why you would work with an advisory services group or firm. Could you paint a picture of kind of, we're talking about, new ways of working right building a better engine give me like a, like a day in the life if you will of kind of the old school way to do kind of the, the tactical procurement we're touching on and then what is like that brighter future look like of, of strategic sourcing what does that look like from a day-to-day -day standpoint yeah so so old school procurement still exists you probably could find 40 companies in your town that do it this way uh you essentially walk in uh, you look for the fur furthest cubicle in the back nether regions of the office, and you will find someone that is called a buyer or a procurement. Uh, some people struggle to describe them or name who that individual is. Uh, and their job is to make sure that there is, I work in manufacturing mostly, so that's kind of the lens I look through. And this person uh, works hand in hand with planning and scheduling and operations every day to make sure the material shows up. Uh, at an effective cost. And that job is not about, you know, some strategic vendor in the world, very much about, hey, we want to build this today. You better make sure it shows up. So as, as my old boss used to uh, joke with me and say, well, I'm always amazed that it shows up, but I don't get why it's so expensive. So it's a pretty easy choice. I'm always going to make much air traffic control. It's very much about purchase orders. It's very tactical. That is what it looks like as old school. Uh, so if you think about the procurement piece, the workflows are much more strategic, right? So, you know, for the tactical things, kind of getting ahead of the plan, you're starting to hear people talk about, you know, SNOP, SIOP, sales and inventory and operations planning. So we get ahead of game, you link that into a PFEP, right? So we actually have a materials plan. 
we're starting to talk maturely with ourselves in sales about the difference between what is stock, what is normal, what is our sweet spot versus what is abnormal and purchase order. And so it's not as reactive as it was. And we're getting ahead of that. Those workflows are getting into systems and they're becoming more automated. Well, that's really what's freeing up the time for being smarter about how we select and work with our vendors. So now you're hearing terms like strategic sourcing, supplier development, risk profile management. I mean, this is kind of where it's going is having very uh, focused strategies and resources around those things versus just making sure material shows up every day. Yeah, it's, it's more than just that mindset and the, the jargon, right? I mean, it's the, the, the whole approach to uh, that day-to-day, right? And then the yes. associated tools, the processes to sustain that. It's, it's super helpful. One of the things, too, I mean, that's a digress here, but one of the things that, that I see a lot, I'm just like curious on your point of view, too, is, is you get these, you know, they's and them's like you mentioned earlier, right? And and you see it even in industries too, right? Like, oh, this, well, it doesn't work in this industry because, you know, we're low volume or, you know, we're an aerospace manufacturer. So we've got all these technical requirements and, you know, excuse, 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 right? Like we can't do this because we don't have the volume of, of steel spend and, and, you know, things like that. Um, from your point of view, do you, I guess, subscribe to those, um, we'll call it excuses, like, you can do strategic sourcing. Would you agree that you can do strategic sourcing regardless of volume, industry, et cetera, from what you see? Or, or are there certain outliers there? No, there aren't outliers. I mean, strategic sourcing is a fancy way of saying uh, making decisions with intent. That's it. And so th- there is no argument that can be made that we can't make intentional decisions. And then it's the process by which we make those decisions uh, that is what sourcing is. No, you, I mean, you had a, a couple of good points there, right? I mean, one of the things that, that, again, these are the lies we tell ourselves at some point, not necessarily intentionally, right? But if we've got these biases, right, um, you could see how you could come to those natural conclusions, right? Of purposeful, you know, it, it, intentional uh, intent, it matters, right? And I think that, the, you know, if you want better outcomes, uh, you know, being strategic, having intent, having a plan, right? Um, no surprise yeah. leads to, uh, hitting that mark, and if you miss that mark, you can make those adjustments. But if you're if you're guessing, if you're reacting, right, um, that's one sure way, way to have no idea what direction you're you're headed. The 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 case for it makes sense in all uh, in, in all scenarios that I've seen. The the roadblocks are things like uh, uh, you know lack of resourcing, lack of leadership support. I mean, once you start going into how we pick our business partners and how we work with them, you're those decisions were made at one point in time by somebody, and typically that person has an office and a door, and they may not be so excited about your view. Uh, and you know, so there is the uh, uh, there's a, a major change management and cultural aspect to it, uh, and there's a lot of fear of disruption. Well, geez, well, what if we do have these type of conversations with our vendors? What does that mean? And who should have those conversations? And is this going to result in any type of disruption to my business? So overcoming the fear overcoming the resourcing, overcoming the organizational pride are all things that uh, need to be managed because, I mean, the, the case makes sense at the end of the day. Even from, approaching from another angle too, right? The finance side of things is a general data point, 50%. In most cases, it's far greater than that of cost at a manufacturer. Certainly middle market is your cogs, right? Is your raw material, your your 
parts that go into those assemblies. So it's hard to not want to focus on that if you're going to unpack it from just a you know, quant standpoint, right? Um, you want to be purposeful in those decisions, right? You understand why, to your point, but it's the, it's the culture change and the, the emboldening of um, getting all that buy-in that, that really is, it sounds like the art uh, to enable that change, right? Yeah. You know, really, when we look at it and measure it, uh, companies that are not doing this, that go to doing this, typically experience a 2 to 5% boost in EBITDA financially from uh, just being smarter about their sourcing. They lower their risk profile. Uh, they tend to have a more positive impact on their inventory and their service levels. So, uh, you know, no question about that the business case is there. Haven't seen many exceptions. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to understand about tactics, right? I mean, the difference of how to approach sourcing when you have leverage versus when you don't, that has to be very, very thoughtful. Uh, but there's never a case for uh, status quo. Would you say the one action, like as you look across those hundred plus com companies that you, you know, have boots on the ground, literally rolling up your sleeves, doing the work side shoulder to shoulder with them, what, what is like the one action that you see leaders most consistently take that maximizes the outcome? Yeah. So, so two two things. One is they declare it as important and prioritize it within their business. We are going to be best in class in supply chain management. Hard stop. And then they behave in that way, right? It has equal standing with other decision-making in the business. If you say it, uh, and then, you know, sales can walk in the door with any vendor relationship they want whenever the wind is blowing a certain direction and we might get a customer order, well, then you're not acting like it. And so that becomes very disruptive to the message. The second thing they do is they make the investment, either through internal resources or otherwise, in an experienced leader to to manage it and they give them the space and time to do it uh, in a meaningful way. A lot of times what people will do is they'll, they'll staff with a sourcing leader, maybe it's even the right individual and then they'll bog them down with the tactical and they're just never effective. But you know, it's about, it's about those two things, uh, both in terms of being impactful in the near term and sustaining the benefit. Appreciate that. Uh, one of the things that we we see up today was the metrics side of things, right? So, as you look across all your current clients, past successes, things like that, what are the the top metrics, if you will, from a strategic sourcing standpoint that you say, okay, without any context, these are your favorite, these are the most common. Like, what are the, the metrics that really matter? It's it's funny. This is the this is the title of the WebEx. It's actually going to be the the easiest part of the conversation. Uh, so, so there's this one metric that we should always stay focused on uh, called the P&L. It's, it's funny to me sometimes in business that we lose sight of the fact that, you know, the ultimate score is So our P&L and our balance sheet are two very good scoreboards for how we're doing in procurement and sourcing. And then with respect to sourcing, it's about, you know, a handful of things. Savings, delivered, cost effectiveness, that's a thing. Spend under contract. Supplier development. We have 10 vendors that are our most strategic. Hey, what are they doing? How are we growing with them? What are the development initiatives? Are we winning? It's like an extension of your continuous improvement program with your most strategic vendors because you're only as successful as they are successful. And then risk. Like, where are we single sourced? What is our risk profile? 
those things, you know, supply chain responsibility is a, is a, is a whole topic that's taking on a life of its own. And your sourcing organization has to have a metric for understanding how you sit and how you're managing those things. Procurement is about efficiency, right? So this is transactional. It's about, you know, PO velocity per FTE, on-time delivery. What are our inventory levels versus our service levels? They're, uh, they're a bit more nuanced, uh, but they're usually all the same. Those are the things that we tend to focus on. One more comment there. Shoot. I joke about now being on the board. That is true. Uh, procurement and sourcing need to be very close to sales. Because if one of the goals of your organization is to leverage sourcing to be more competitive, by extension, save money and then bank it, and but you're not working closely with sales to protect the margin that you create, it'll wash through your P&L to your customer base, and you'll never realize it in EBITDA. So it, you just got to be very thoughtful about how those two organizations work together. And if you're going to work really hard on all these things to drive savings, then you need to be really thoughtful about how you invest that money in your clients and how and what your expectations are of it flowing through to your P&L. I appreciate you adding that too. And that's just to piggyback off that too, because you get my um, um, neurons firing on a, a couple of different fronts. But the, the, one of the things I've seen a, a growing trend on, and I'll just offer this up as like, okay, I've had a number of conversations about this recently, is manufacturers appreciation, or I, I'd say hyper awareness, not necessarily getting into the tactics, but hyper awareness for uh, quoting new business, right? And, and the fidelity of um, not just the piece price, but we want to be able to execute this, right? So we see a lot of divide is, okay, sales is out there in a vacuum, quoting business, maybe half of a bill of material for an assembly is actually executable. The other is benchmark data, or, hey, we sold it from a past program, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, well, we won this thing. Oh my gosh, how do we execute it? Let's actually quote it now. You know, so the ability to get better data um, in, in, dare we say, you know, collaborate with sales and purchasing or, or, you know, ideally the strategic sourcing side, if you're, you know, more of an advanced organization, the advanced uh, product folks, right? Um, that's a big opportunity, at least I'm seeing from just a, you know, conversation. Huge. With Huge. I mean, it, so it kind of boils down to a couple of things that people talk about, but I don't know how well they do it. It's like one is sales and operations planning. If you're not doing that, how do you expect anybody to be successful in a materials management role in making sure you have stuff in the plant to satisfy the orders? Now that's scary, right? Because now we got to have a forecast and we all know that forecasts are wrong, but hey, you got you to gotta have a plan for that. And then you got to break that down into inventory levels. You have to, I, this is basics, right? This is like brush your teeth and comb your hair, but people don't do it. You have to understand and acknowledge as a business, what is the portfolio of things that are high velocity in stock? versus what is special and abnormal. I mean, and if you got sales guys going out there and they don't even have a catalog with a differentiation of what I can ship tomorrow versus what's gonna be three or four months, that's a, that's a bad situation to try to manage from an operations standpoint. And so, uh, you know, there really has to be some thought uh, and a, uh, around how those things are done in, in a tactical, pragmatic way. You know, look, if we're phasing these five products out and they're losers from a margin standpoint, 
I get that we sold them to customers seven years ago and we got to have them, but, but we probably shouldn't be putting them in front of new clients, right? Let's phase those things out and move on to other things. And we probably shouldn't be making commitments on things that are unknowns that we've never done before. So that, that push and pull that, uh, that, uh, connecting processes between business development and operations is the difference between chaos within operations and terrible margins and, uh, you know, having better margins and able to meet commitments and frankly, really confident sales guys that know that when they sell it, it's going to get done. You touched on something that is really, really important because you, you get a, a balance, right? You, you can't do the strategic stuff or the, you know, the transformation stuff you want to, uh, use some jargon, right? Unless you have a foundation, right? And I know you yes. spent a lot of time on like the data foundation, whether it's, you know, plan for repart, getting a hold of uh, who your top partners are as far as spend, was that thoughtful, right? Um, as you look at bringing that message to leaders at middle market manufacturers, right? That maybe had that event, right? So they've experienced pain, they get it, right? Um, how do you deliver that message or help them with that message on, hey, we don't want to just go with duct tape and band-aids and, and go fix problems. Yes, we'll get to that. We got to, again, build that better engine. We got to build that data foundation so that it doesn't happen next month, right? Like, how do you, because that, at least from my experience, isn't the, the sexiest thing that they want to hear, right? Like, oh, we got to analyze our spend. Or we got to do this work, right? Like, how do you help them on that journey? Uh, well, you know, it, I think that uh, it doesn't take a lot of convincing. It just takes a lot of work. Uh, people make a lot of decisions without information and data. And what I find is when they have it, they really, really appreciate it. But they always say the same thing. We got a lot of data, but not a lot of information. Or we have a lot of reports, but none of them are actionable. Like that's that's the thing. But because you got to take this information and sometimes you got to duct tape it together because it's in multiple systems and it's not convenient. You got to add in nodes that aren't convenient. You got to clean stuff up. And you got to use it to understand theses uh, and impact and effort and opportunity. And so the way that we help our clients is really I mean, most of our work on the assessment phase and even during implementation, we're grinding on spreadsheets to understand impacts, opportunities, performance, et cetera. And we're talking with humans about what that information means to create a good foundation of facts and logic for making better decisions. And then once you kind of get through that easy bake oven process and design that recipe, I mean, the utopia is you build that into some type of a, of a metric system so you can track impact and improve this stuff that we call simple, but it's not simple. It's creating the foundational data flow. It's agreeing on the metrics and having people understand what they are. It's creating those dashboards. And then importantly, you got to create the governance practices, policies, and standard work that support it. I mean, there's so much of business that occurs where it's very ad hoc. And if you can establish that kind of one truth uh, and you can get people operating in a rhythm and you can have it built on some standard work, uh, the velocity of decision making and workflow, I mean, it's just an increased work with us. But we need it to be sustainable and scalable, sustainable, sustainable and scalable. And that that is of having something that is both sustainable and scalable. No, I mean, it's so spot on, right? I mean, a couple things, right? Sustainable, scalable, super, super important. And also I love I mean, the, the term too, I mean, the foundation of facts, right? Because it doesn't mean that the team 
is wrong, right? Or you have even all the answers, right? Because I know you're a humble guy, right? Like you're, you're really facilitating that process, right? In a lot of cases, you know, they're calling you to your point earlier. They, they know what the answer is, right? How to get there. That's the art, right? So maybe you have some experience. You've seen it so many times, habits, right? That your team's bringing to the table. But it's really in a lot of cases saying, okay, like we're current state A. We want to get to this, this better utopia at your point a minute ago, B how to get there, you, you got to really have those facts to know things like, okay, I have 10 strategic suppliers, right? Didn't know that there was, the number was 10, right? I knew there was a handful of them, right? Our spend is 80% of our cogs, like, whoa, that's a lot, right? Um, and yeah. oh, by the way, like we only purposely chose five of those, right? And five of them are sole sourced and they're super risky to our business, right? So if they fail, not negative or positive, we're not doing so hot, right? So like, we need to make sure that we uh, have a plan in place, right? I, I think that, that that gets into that sustainable piece. Is your business sustainable? Not even from a, you know, a, a climate or, you know, a carbon standpoint, but just is it, uh, that could be part of it, but is it is it actually a going concern? Is it, um, can it survive an economic shock, right? Can it uh, survive one of those suppliers having a financial difficulty, right? If, if the answer is like, ah, we're not sure, like, you know, that, that's a big deal. Yeah, I, I, the way you said it and laid it out almost sounds like one of our assessment reports. I mean, I think the only additional thing that we throw in there is uh, we'll bifurcate dollars spent by individual and we'll show the names and we'll say, hey, do you want to know the top names of people that spend more than $50 million in your business? Most folks can't name them. And then you start to see who the names are and how those decisions are made. And the amount of the gravity of that uh, tends to be pretty compelling added with the fact that, uh, you know, 80% of those vendors were not selected through intelligent design. So. So as you look to the future, we covered so much ground. I mean, what, what excites you most about the potential we'll say success of your clients, right? We, we talked about kind of that journey, et cetera. Like what, what opportunities do you see out there as far as middle market? How are you at Crow helping to, to maybe accelerate some of that? Like what gets you really jazzed you look to, you know, the months, the months ahead? I mean, well, so first of all, just being a part of it. So uh, I don't get any enjoyment out of managing status. I would much rather walk into a house that's all messed up. I just, I really like that. I like to fix things. And then once once they're fixed, I'm incredibly bored and also incredibly ineffective and I need to go somewhere else. So fortunately, uh, in, in kind of mid-market, procurement and supply chain is, we're going through that grind right now. And there's some things that make it even more challenging, right? Or, or more exciting or even more strategic and interesting. Think about the dynamic of private equity and you know the effect that in a more, quote, you know, kind of professional uh, management team and structure. That's really fueling this. Think about all the things that are occurring from a supply chain, uh, you know, kind of resiliency uh, uh, standpoint, all the things that are coming from a supply chain accountability standpoint. Uh, I mean, companies are in a position where they're behind the curve. And whether they want to or not, they have to start taking this stuff more seriously. And I, I really get a kick out of kind of knowing some of the answers to the test. Uh, and it brings a ton of value to our clients because this is not as simple as just, you know, a, a, a system-based fix or, you know, just 
simply hiring the right person and moving on. I mean, this is kind of a complex problem that is very strategic. And so I think that's something that a lot of us get a real charge out of in our career is actually doing something that is meaningful, matters, and with a sense of urgency. So, uh, and, and we got we got enough years and maturity out there that I'll retire doing the same thing. And it's great. It's super insightful. I mean, what I took away from our conversation too is, to your point, there are right answers to these tests. It doesn't mean that you have all the answers, you bring those to a meeting, but through listening, right, to where people are at, where they want to go, getting that foundation of truth, having the context of their industry, where they want to go, all those variables, right? You've got variable A, B, C, D, et cetera. You're able to then pair said variables with the right potential solution, not to come up with an unknowable answer or that you're any smarter or anything else, but, it, but it, if it was going to take 10 weeks to get to the answer for variable B and you're able to do that in two weeks, right? And, and you keep compressing that, right? You're able to help people on that journey, get them there a little bit faster, maybe with a few less headaches. Yeah. I mean, that, it, it, it's the value and it's also kind of the biggest knock on consultants. We come in and we tell you the time on your own watch. But, you know, it's like I said, it's not it's not always just about, you know, something that I know that you don't. In fact, it's rarely that. It's just you can you have a foundation of experiences. It's really more about I need some focused resources that can work on this in a very intentional way. It's solving for that uh, that consensus dynamic. And the combination of those three things, I mean, it just, the net of it is uh, accelerated impact and done in a more responsible and sustainable way. So at the end of the day, that that's really uh, what we get hired for. And, you know, that, that, you know, back to an earlier question that that's why we get referred because the net of it isn't the theory, the net of it is the, the impact. Uh, and people just really connect to that. You get a ton of value out of it. Thanks for, I mean, just quantify the metrics side of things today. I think, you know, for listeners, it's really helpful to have those top metrics, even the, the specific thing, which is a you know, unintended outcome of today, which I really, frankly, am jazzed about, is, is the specific impact EBITDA, right? To really say, okay, this is where I'm at. If I'm a middle market manufacturer, if I'm objective about our approach to, in a lot of cases, procurement, right? This is the opportunity that I can expect to on that bell curve get to with strategic sourcing. As you look to sort of the months ahead, like what specific projects would you say that you're working with now on clients are going to have like the most impact? Not necessarily specifics, but like what specific projects um, from a macro level are really going to make those impacts in the in the days ahead? Do you think? So. Uh... I guess said simply, we're, we're really good at working ourselves out of a job. So when we start working with the client, they, they kind of know the issue and, and they, they need the help getting there, as we've talked about the change management stuff. And then, you know, we've talked a little bit about the things that are most important, right? Executive leadership and support, hiring and institutionalizing a leader, putting in the data feeds, the governance, showing the impact, right? Delivering that result. But I mean, uh, Look, you, you only want the, the, the smart people walking around with their blazers on for so long. Eventually, you want it to be sustainable, right, and scalable. And so we kind of walk away from that. So, I, uh, you know, our career, as we help people kind of through the, uh, 
the maturity curve, uh, we always want to leave them in a spot where they're net better than where we started and that they're in a, in a stable position to take it forward on their own. We're, we're professionals at teaching people how to fish. And so that, that's the story of all of our clients, whether we're working in a logistics projects, whether we're working on a system-based project, whether we're working on just pure category sourcing, it's, it's never about being there forever. It's about uh, getting them accelerated uh, and then making sure they can do it in perpetuity. Well, thanks for spending so much time with us today and just sharing so many you know, case studies and specifics on, on your experiences, right? That is really helpful to other middle market manufacturers that maybe are experiencing this and, and maybe aware of change needed, not quite sure how to, to ignite that change, right? Uh, but a lot of us are aware that, hey, like we want to live differently, the firefighting, uh, the tactical stuff, right? Uh, we've all been there. None of us are above uh, grinding through a spreadsheet or, or something like that, right? But you want to live like that, right? You want to have it every day be a fire. Uh, and there's really purposeful actions is a big takeaway for me that um, you can make to actually have like some really dramatic impacts on the business, right? So it's not just driving, purchasing or sourcing uh, results, which you always want to drive on an individual basis, but the business results are, are really impactful if you get that alignment for change, right? Sustain that. I think that's one of the things that's most liberating and exciting about supply chain is, is that when you really sit down and think about it, a lot of it is very much common sense and pragmatic. But actually doing that work is much more complex. So it's great. Thank you for your valuable time. I hope this episode delivered practical tools to help you infuse more intelligence into your product launches. Want to learn more or discuss topics or reviewed further? I welcome your questions, comments, and feedback on this episode. You can reach me via email at william.crane at industrystar.com, on LinkedIn, William, the letter J, Crane, J-R, or join the conversation in our LinkedIn group, Supply Chain Innovation, Tips and Tools for New Product Launches. Now go out there and outlaunch your competition. Greetings, William Crane, CEO of Industry Star here. Do you need to reduce the cost of a complex product assembly? There are several reasons, from creating customer proposals, to developing new products, to improving production profitability. Several dependencies must be considered simultaneously. Like a quarterback can call an audible to change a play, Industry Star's supply performance software offers multiple plays to accelerate your goals. To support supply chain leaders, our team crafted the Product Cost Optimization PCO Playbook. The playbook offers three winning plays to accelerate your team's results and at zero risk to you. One, when we assess your product and identify $100,000 of savings and you move forward with our software solution, our $5,000 assessment fee is credited back to you. Two, if you don't move forward with our software solution, you pay our assessment fee and keep our playbook. And three, if we cannot find $100,000 in savings, you keep our assessment fee and our savings ideas. Email me at info at industrystar.com to explore if the PCO playbook could accelerate your product cost optimization goals. Here's to developing complex product assemblies at the optimal cost in the days ahead.